Good morning, church. It's, uh, it's good to be together. It really is. And um, I'm excited to uh, carry on where we left off in our In Step with the Spirit series a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Brad Butcher, one of our wonderful missionaries, and uh, you learned all that last week. He was a youth pastor here. And I remember falling in love with Brad when we first interviewed him. And I said, so give me just an idea. What, what kind of dream, what kind of ambition do you have? His answer was uh, not to get a reaction at all. He says, well, I want to reach every single student in Tigard in the next two years. And I went, well, what, what are you talking, what? And he says, yeah, I want to share the gospel and, uh, and reach them with the gospel, every student in Tigard in the next two years. He lives his life that way. So Brad, you may be watching today or another day, um, but thank you. And uh, you're an inspiration to many of us and uh, certainly me. So, um, so it was good having him here. Um, I'm going to go all the way back to Acts 15. And there was this uh, council, the Jerusalem. I've called it the Jerusalem summit because it, like summits, brings together the most important people in a movement or nations would send presidents and other high-level dignitaries, we would say today. Well, in this day, it was the Jerusalem summit, and it was a very defining moment, make no mistake about it, the most defining moment to date for the first church, as we've come to call them. Uh, the story of that first church is in Acts, uh, the whole 28 chapters and uh, <clears throat> so hopefully you're tracking with us in that way. It was this um, summit, what I'm referring to as a religious continental divide, uh, if there ever was one. In fact, so significant was that summit that how the controversy was finally decided had the effect of determining, you ready for this? Are you seat belted in? It had the effect of determining uh, where the world would land on the most important, not just sort of important, most important question. How are people saved? So the answer is clear in our minds, maybe in some of our minds. But the answer was very much in question at the time of Acts 15. If you know Acts, you're a little past the halfway point. Think about that question, how are people saved? Uh, it's not where should you go to college? How many have gone to college? Did you just toss a coin and go, hey, yeah, I guess I'll go there? No, you gave some time to it, right? Some thought. You... You ask mom and dad, how much could they afford? <laughs> you know, stuff like that, right? So you did a lot of careful search. Almost every hand, a ton of hands went up in here. But it's, it's not that question. Oh, who you should marry. How many are married, have been married, want to be married? Raise your hands. Okay, almost everybody in the room, all right? Good chance you didn't just throw a dart at three pictures on the wall. You know? It's thoughtful, it's deep, it's something that is consequential. In fact, I've often referred to it, I don't think this is incorrect, it's the second most important decision you will ever make in this life. Second only to Jesus. So, but it's more than who you're going to marry. 
or what school you're going to go to, or what you should invest in. Today, Sealy Mattress is a good place for your money, okay? Um, but, you know, and, and you know what? I've been with groups of people recently, and, and, and the conversation went around to money and what to do with it and how, where to get enough of it and all that stuff. And, I, and I, I found myself curious because in spite of my attempts to kind of shrug my shoulder and go, nah, that stuff doesn't interest me. What did he just say? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You, 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 so, you know, what to invest in? I've, I've sat at the feet of really smart investors, and I took more than a few notes. Um, or here's another one that's important to most of us. Where should I live? Uh, in Oregon? Um, a lot of people are deciding that's not a great place to live in the last couple of years. I don't know. I don't, I, I, no judgment on anybody, but... Where should I live is another question. Or here's one that will cover most of 20 to 40 years of your life. Where should I work? What kind of work is my life's calling? I don't mean, well, you know, am I going to have a job next month? I'm talking something you can sink your teeth into. You see what I'm doing here? I'm pulling out a bunch of important things in our lives. Uh... But as important as those things are, Jesus Christ made salvation infinitely more important and consequential than anything I just mentioned or you could add to my list. When he said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, enter what? Enter what? The kingdom. Heaven, enter heaven through the narrow gate. You use, you use words like narrow so that people, most everybody's awake so far in my message. They're going, well, if there's a narrow way, there's a wide way too, right? So Jesus' words, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the, lo- the road that leads to destruction. And I wish this wasn't there, but in some ways I'm incredibly grateful. Jesus added, and many are those who enter through that gate. The wide one. He's not done. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. But to be very honest, Jesus finishes his statement by saying, and few are those who find it. You can't, I don't care if you just found the Bible on the ground and went, oh, oh, that's, whoa, whoa. You would stop in your tracks, as Jesus intended when he said those words. It's part of a sermon known as the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I'm going to make an assumption this morning for all of us. It's certainly true of me. My assumption is that you want to be one of the few, meaning when Jesus said, enter by the narrow road um, that leads to life, because few are those who find it. 
You want to be one of the few. I want to be one of the few. I'm not, I, I, occasionally you'll hear somebody that's just, they've lost their mind. They'll go, no, I don't care. Destruction? I hope we got good beer in hell. Really? Beer won't quench your thirst there, bro. It's not going to work. Um, so here's the deal as we get started with a jolt. Death is certain. Where you go after life is a choice that every single one of the now 8 billion people that call earth home get to decide. In Jesus' words, your decision has to do with destruction or life. Uh, years ago, uh, when our kids were, our children, our three uh, were young, I think they were six, eight, and ten, something like that, seven, nine, and eleven, around there. Um, we went on a, a seven-week, 12,000-mile, uh, 38-state road trip in a minivan, all right? Um, we, um, we loved it. We loved every minute of it. Um, wanted to leave the kids behind a few times, but we loved our time there. We really, it was magical. Just, we always talk about it. But one feature we kept bumping into along the way, in fact, four different times, uh, was a sign that was put in a very prominent place. You read it, and you read it enough to realize there's something going on here. I'm not sure what that is, but we better learn about it. It's a sign that said the Continental Divide, or the Continental, sometimes in parentheses, Great Divide, because there's actually a lot of Continental Divides. But this one covered four western states, and it goes from, well, let's just say it goes from Canada to Mexico, though the Continental Divide's much bigger than that, right? But on these four western states, Montana, Wyoming, uh, Colorado, and New Mexico, you came to the sign. And it's a geographical feature, it turns out, that separates the watershed of the Pacific, I better flip my arms around, the Pacific and the Atlantic Oceans. And I'll boil it down simply, a raindrop on the western side of the Continental Divide, which goes north and south, will end up eventually in the Pacific it's part of the Pacific watershed and ends up theoretically and probably practically in the Pacific Ocean. The same is true on the east side. Water, rain, snow, whatever it is, on the east side will end up in the Atlantic. Some would say the Gulf. That's fine. It all applies. So the point here is there's a vast difference that doesn't look so vast if you're standing on the Continental Divide, you, we all did this. We're like, okay, there's a couple thousand miles this way and about 1,600 this way. And this is mind-blowing. It's that big. Uh, the intense debate fought out at the first church summit was its own great divide. 
which would ultimately define the gospel for us today. Is it a gospel of grace or law? Because answering that question will determine, is it a gospel of spiritual life or death? That's a big deal. So, last time we were together in our uh, series, we took in Luke's somewhat stunning description of a heated debate. Um, He actually, uh, it's referred to by New Living Translation in chapter 15, verse 2, as a uh, vehement argument. In other words, they weren't going, no, no, sir, I respectfully disagree with you. It's like, are you kidding me? No way. What you're saying is wrong. Do you see the difference? It's not a polite little, oh, okay, we'll have a difference of opinion. No. This is sink or swim. Um, And it was between two groups of people. One of the groups was the Jesus period group. They're known as the Gentiles in our narrative. The Jesus period group um, was ones that came to Jesus by faith, and that's where their lives were changed, a gift of God's grace. Then there's the Jesus plus group on the other side. They were the Jews of the day that said, you know, finally they got a little more comfortable with, okay, Jesus But you still got to do good. You got to, in their case, uh, be circumcised and you got to keep the law of Moses. So yeah, Jesus is groovy like a beach party movie, we used to say in Southern Cal. Um, But but it's more than that. You got to step up, uh, specifically be circumcised and, um, and keep the law of Moses. So we're ready to read. Look at a certain people. Chapter 15, verse 1, came down from Judea to Antioch. It's actually going north. And we're teaching the believers. Look at the quotation. Unless you are circumcised according to the customs taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Okay? This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So, little backstory. Paul and Barnabas, they've been out on their first missions, first ever missions trip. They were gone 18 months, and they've come back home, and they're telling their sending church. That's how it happened then and still happens. They come home, everybody that helped pay and pray to get them there and back, they want to hear stories, right? And if I told you I've been in Nicaragua with the gospel the last two weeks, you'd go, dude, tell us. Pastor, what's, what was it like? And I want to share stories with you. Well, that's what they were doing here. And uh, they came to their sending church that was in Antioch of Syria, just north of Jerusalem, a couple hundred miles. And they told how the Holy Spirit did some amazing things that you can't make up. And, and it resulted in the hearts of Gentiles being open to the gospel. Um. If you were there, you'd have to go, whoa. Right now you're going, whoa. Did he just say non-Jews on their journey, Gentiles, 
We're repenting of their sins. We're believing in Jesus and we're getting saved and hold on, filled with the Holy Spirit? Really? That's exactly what verse 27 of the previous chapter said. On arriving there, they gathered the church together, reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith. Finish the sentence to the Gentiles. This is good, good stuff. Now, as we read already in verse 2, it was also very contrary stuff to Jewish teaching. And it caused a huge conflict, not to surface, I'm choosing my words carefully, to erupt. Have you been in one of those places where you knew it was, there's something about to blow up inside? You're hearing something your ears cannot believe, and without almost permission, your heart just goes, what? I've had those. About four of them. They're really scary for me, and I can only imagine others. Um, I don't have them anymore, but I'm on heavy medication to keep that from happening. (laughs) Kind of water is it? All right. Uh, So here's the deal. Um, This huge conflict just explodes. And their thoughts as good, good Jews... These are not bad people. They're good people. But their thoughts were simple. Um, Wait a minute. What about circumcision? What about the law? They knew it as the Torah, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, big time stuff. What about all that? Now you see why it just kind of wells up. So they've got a problem on their hands. They're sharing all this cool stuff, and um, they had something that needed needed to be referred to somebody with more whiskers than that group, and that would be the mother church in Jerusalem. Remember, all this is happening up in Antioch, Syria. So they head there, Paul and Barnabas, um, and... Um, Verse 3 tells us they go down, they brought Paul and Barnabas, um, were appointed by that church along with some other believers to go to Jerusalem, see the apostles and elders about this question. Church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had, they just kept right on doing it. And then verse uh, 4 Look with me. When they came to Jerusalem, so they're wiggling their way south, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported more of the same, everything that God had done through them. Um, Prompting some people who were in that setting, I call them sometimes uh, sort of respectfully but not really, the law enforcement arm of the, of the uh, party of the Pharisees. And they weren't about to sit on their hands or keep their mouths closed. And we learned that in, before in our study. Some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. That's the tone 
Yeah, 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 we're glad for this movement. But come on. So Peter was one of the who was one of the original disciples, Peter, James, and John and the crew. He listened and uh, at length really to the discussion and um, and the discussion draws down to a single verse. When Peter was done with his verse, he was done with um, his response. Verse 11, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as the Gentiles. Folks, that sentence has sweeping implications. If you could feel it, if we could correctly uh, sort of channel that moment, I don't mean that weird, we would realize this thing's about to blow up. We know there's two sides to this issue. And in that moment, we knew that there's about to be, if not a physical, a verbal and spiritual fight for the ages. Uh, all people, Peter is saying, Jews and Gentiles are saved the same way. And this hasn't changed since then. So will you write this down? All people, Jews or Gentiles, are saved the exact same way by the undeserved and unearnable grace of Jesus Christ. That's the truth. Please put Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 next to what I just said. By grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourself. It is a gift from God, not as a result of, finish the sentence, lest anyone should boast. Because guess what? I am perfectly capable of claiming credit for something I didn't deserve credit for. Not the least of which, my salvation. Are you getting this? I, here's the deal. I've thought of Billy Graham a lot over my lifetime. I, I've, I've thought of my dad a lot. I've thought of giants like that in my life. And you know what? There's a little risk of being really good. Are you with me? I think the risk is this. They could walk into heaven with just a, just a touch, not a whole bunch, but enough swag to go, okay, let's let this party get started. The big deal just showed up. My great apologies to Billy Graham and my dad because they don't think that way. But I sometimes look at lives like that, and I think that way. I'm thinking the rest of us are a piece of work. But boy, some people just show up with more going on. And if my father was in this audience today, Billy Graham's already with Jesus. He's almost ready to come back and go, dude, stop. <laughs> it's not me. I am convinced. It matters not what brand of sinner you are. Are you hearing me, church? It doesn't matter what brand of sinner you are, big or small. 
It doesn't matter if you're male or female. There's just as many dirty women as there are dirty men. There, I said it. It doesn't matter if you are simple or smart, rich or poor, religious or irreligious. All sinners have their hearts purified exactly the same way by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Amen. That's the story here. Go to somebody that's just a big pile of problems and tell them that. Do it. What are they going to do? They're in jail. Say it through the bars. The proverbial bars. It's a phone now with a four-inch chunk of glass between you and the prisoner. And you go, I know it stinks being in there. And we're not going to dispute why you are there. But here's the deal. Jesus loves you there. He wants to redeem your life. Um, a week ago, I was at my fitness club. Some of you are saying, we know, we know. We can tell. We can tell. We get it. All right, all right. Um, so uh, after a two or three hour workout, I... Uh, whatever. I reached and grabbed my stuff, you know, and I'm about to head out. And in our club, um, there's some weak weights over here. I'd never go to that section, but I'm in this area and there's, there's a, there's a sort of an aisle between two rows of machines, uh, free weights over here and ellipticals over here. And there's two guys having a chat across the aisle. And, uh, and I had to kind of walk, I'd have to go around and I was kind of spent and ready to get on. So I walked through them, and um, I heard what one of them said. Literally right as I'm crossing, uh, the, the guy said this, and I wrote it down right away. I don't know if I'll get in the gates, but one thing I can say is I tried. And I wanted to bust out church right then and there. Just go, dude, by grace through faith, you know. You tried? Did your best? I'm not going to ask you to show me your hand right now, but just would you be honest with yourself? Are you one of those guys talking that day? I don't know if I'm going to get in. But one thing I know, gave it my best. I tried. Can I respectfully tell you wrong answer. Not even close to the right answer. Um, Let me ask it this way. What if getting in the gates wasn't about your effort or achievement at all? The balance of our few minutes is about that. In verse 12, there's silence, kind of like there is in our gathering. The whole assembly listened as Barnabas and Paul told more stories about miracles, uh, stories from their mission trip. And then, uh, remember, Peter's done. He said what he had to say in verse 11. Then he 
James stands up. James is, by the way, the half-brother of Jesus, the author also of the epistle or letter of James in the New Testament, five chapters there. So when they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild. He's quoting Amos right here, Amos chapter 9. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild, and I will restore it. That the rest of, watch these words in verse 17, the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and even all the Gentiles who bear my name. This is going back to the days of uh, Jeroboam II in the north and uh, uh, some other guy in the south. I'll get it. Um, even the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. Um, James is agreeing. He's corroborating with Peter. Just as Peter said, says that's why he starts in verse 14, as Peter has just described. And then he quotes Amos, this prophet, um, Uzziah. There it is. Uh, was the king in the south. So uh, James then basically says this. The effect of verse 17 is to show us, and that's why he quotes Amos here, to show us that God intended all along, this is not a new idea. He intended all along to use Jews as a means of reaching non-Jews. In other words, the gospel is for the whole world. And if you're in this audience, you're going, whoa, Amos, what? You're quoting him? This is 750 BC? Yeah. For, for, for Gentiles? Is that a misprint? Verse 17? Um, James then suggests something to the summit. Remember, all these eyes are watching. Peter's done talking. James grabs a mic. And everybody listened. And James suggests that the summit embrace the pure gospel and make a point not to put anything in the way for Gentiles to turn to God. Look at these beautiful words in verse 19. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Why would it be difficult? Because they're not Jews. Circumcision, what? Law of Moses, what? I came to Jesus. Don't make it difficult for Gentiles to come to Jesus. Verse 20, instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols. Remember, these Jews are hearing all this from sexual immorality and from the meat of strangled animals and from the blood from blood for the law of Moses has been preached for a long time in lots of places and it's still read on every sabbath in synagogues so a wise conclusion is presented here with a caution to each group 
Verse 19 is the caution to the Jews. Don't make it hard on the Gentiles to come to Jesus. He said that earlier in verse 10. Why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither you, neither we, nor our ancestors, we Jews or our ancestors, were able to bear? In other words, we're not so good at keeping the law in case you haven't checked lately. That's what Peter's saying. That's what James is agreeing with here. Easy for me to lay something on you and then investigate my life and go, whoa, he doesn't do that. Let me give you one. If I told you, you know, some of you don't give. I have no idea, by the way. I don't know what you do or don't give. I only know one family, my family. What we do give. That's all I know. Never wanted to know any more than that. But if I said to you, hey, you know what? Some of you need to step it up. God owns it all. Um, it's time to release some as a statement of faith and, and obedience. And then somehow, I don't know how, my, my records of giving, me and Debbie, my dad, our records are made known. And you go, that's a blank ledger. What would, what would you say to my message about giving? This isn't in my notes. It's just me. What would you say? Really? You pick any area of the Christian life. And especially if I was intentionally turning up the heat in your life and not living by it in my life. That's what, that's what James is saying here. That's what Peter said. Guys, we're laying on a big pile of stuff that we're not even good at. Now I think we're, we're dialed in here. So there's a caution now for Gentiles, and that's in verse 20 and 21. We read those already. Don't cause Jews. I don't think we properly respect deeply held conviction that's been entrenched in people for a very long time. That would be true of the Jews. They had circumcision. They had the law, the Torah. That was fundamental. It's still fundamental. So Gentiles don't... Don't flaunt your freedom is what's being said here. You came to Jesus and now you get to live as you please? Come on. There's reasonable uh, spirit in these words. Because these things that they're said, hey, let them come to Jesus and, and tell them back off on these other things. You, you, you haven't been... Um, indoctrinated in these things. So don't needlessly rub their nose in it. That's what the counsel is to the Gentiles. That teaching's still true today, by the way. Uh, I want to give you two quick takeaways. Um, the Apostle Paul was so empowered by these words and inspired by the Holy Spirit's calling on his life to share these things. That in both the Corinthian letters and, the Ro and, and in the Roman letter, 
He took on this issue because it lived on. The issue that said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go Jesus plus. We're going to still require some other things, but you aren't really people of the covenant. You're sort of. You're on your way. Can you imagine the insecurity? Did I, did I get in? Was I good enough? Like my club, did I try hard enough? No. So Paul says this, basically this principle. Would you write this principle down? You came to Jesus in freedom. For freedom that Christ set you free. Don't, don't add to that. But here's the principle. Restrain your freedoms. Listen to this. Make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or a sister. I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. I'm quoting from 1 Corinthians 8 and Romans 14. Um, But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, think of it as the Jew-Gentile. If you see a a Jew that's just like having a fit... Because of something, you're, you're, you killed the animal and you're bon appetit. And you just carry on like that. You're not acting in love. Romans 14. So my, the principle is, don't eat. Don't let your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. My simple three-word principle, refrain your freedoms. Here's another one that sounds similar. Give up your rights. (laughs) I knew I'd get you to look up. We are American, bro. Bill of Rights. I get that. Um, Paul said this repeatedly. He listed five or six rights that he has as a follower of Jesus. And he said, I won't take a single one of those to avoid offense. Though I'm free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone, and his purpose is so that he might win as many as possible. To the Jew, I became like a Jew to win the Jew. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. And then this sweeping statement of it all. I've become all things to all people that I might by all possible means save some. Give up your rights. I know you're knowing certain implications of this, and I'll just let the Holy Spirit take it from there. But I, I, um, I, I want to ask you some questions here at the end, and we're going to respond in song. Uh, are you aware of added packaging you might be putting in the way of the pure gospel? If you don't have an answer to that, that's, that's not a bad thing. You didn't fail the test. But ask God, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that to you. Is there something that I'm adding on here 
um, anything more than faith in Jesus Christ to make us right with God. Anything more than Jesus Christ to make me right with God is legalism. It's legalism. It's not the gospel. There's a flip side here too. Have you thought about the fact that though you may have a right, and we Americans do, um, if your rights add a burden or an obstacle that gets in the way of your witness, it should be rethought. There was a, uh, it's a one-chapter letter just before Revelation in the New Testament. It's called Jude. Hey, Jude. You know that guy? So uh, he was writing to the opposite. Not the legalists, but the licentious ones. Antinomians. People that said, law? Who needs law? I got grace. I can do it. Jesus has me covered. And they went crazy with it. So don't let your eating or drinking or anything you approve ruin someone for whom Christ has died. I am... I love how this passage ends, and it's, it would be a crime to not finish it. Um, so look at verse 22, and it's just kind of the, the letter they draft and sent, and it's a sweet ending. The apostles and elders with the whole church, they said, this is good. They decided to choose some of their own men and sent them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabbas, not Judas Iscariot, but different Judas, and Silas, men who were leaders in the Jerusalem church, to join Paul and Barnabas. With them, they, those four, carried this letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, here's how the letter read. To the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. We have heard that some <clears throat> went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you. They troubled your minds but what they said. So we all agree, we've had this meeting, that all that we've just spent the morning discussing. We all agree to choose some men and send them with you, uh, to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. I love this statement. I want my life to defi be defined by verse 28. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit. Would you go places with that in your conversations today? What, what does that mean? It's something cool. I know that. I, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You're to abstain from food, and he just repeats it. Sacrifice to idols from blood, from meat, strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. 
So the men were sent off and went down to Antioch, and when they gathered the church together, they delivered the letter. Look at verse 31. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, these are the ones that joined from the church to give it added credibility, they, they said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. And after spending some time there, they were sent off by the believers with the blessing of peace to return on those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they, where they and many others taught and preached the word of God. A letter handwritten um, and Holy Spirit approved. That's a great statement. Um, the first church summit was a success. What had all kinds of potential to split that church wide open and destroy it resulted in joy. It resulted in unity and peace among the believers, Jew and Gentile. Would you close your Bible right now? I want to ask you, um, when you read words that I just read, verse 32, gladness, encouraging, strength, and um, blessing, and peace, you can't read those without knowing the Holy Spirit was at work in their midst. Indeed, they went from warring, remember, vehement debate to, wow, we work this thing out. We love each other. We're one. God's purpose is no less than that in our lives. Summit's over there. It had shown the validity of the saying that it doesn't matter where it came from, but it came centuries later. And it came to another church. It was the 1600s in great crisis and division. It was during the 30-year war. If you want to check out your history. And... Um, and it's a saying that you know about, uh, probably have miscredited it to somebody like Augustine or even Luther. It was neither of them. It doesn't matter. But it's a saying that I think we just read about in Acts 15. And it goes like this. In essentials, unity. The gospel, its core. If we can't get on the same page here, we need to divide. We need to part ways. I'm not advising that. I don't think we have remnants of that here. But in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. Liberty. It's freedom. And then in all things, charity, love. They did it. And with the Holy Spirit's help, let's keep doing it here. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me this morning? As, um, wow. We're going to sing a song. It captures...
the spirit of everything we've talked about. Lord, I need you. Every moment, every day, every way, every role and part I play in this great family called Grace Point, I need you. God, keep us. Holy Spirit, prevent us from choosing legalism because that's how we've always done it. That's how we've always believed. And, and keep us from the opposite extreme that says anything goes. Hey, man, I'm free. Got my rights. No, Lord, we don't want to be that. Help us to do our part to promote unity and liberty and charity in our church. By this shall all people know that we belong to Jesus by the love we have for one another. That's more than words I just prayed. That's something that in our deepest heart we, we want and we know we can have with your help. So we need you.